How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? I am uh, feeling recharged after the weekend. And um, I, I'm I, the opposite. I, 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 I was going to say, like, am I looking forward to the press conference on Monday <laughs> <laughs> where, where, uh, where the Milwaukee Bucks will introduce uh, John Horst as their new general manager? I don't, I don't know. I'm, let me say this. As someone who doesn't like awkwardness, I'm really glad that I'm not a real media member and I don't have to be there. Um, unfortunately, you are, are an actual media member and you are going to be there. And I don't know. How are, you, are you looking forward to that press conference? It's going to be a pretty weird press conference, I feel like. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be kind of strange, just because this whole this whole process has been strange. <laughs> like there, there's no doubt about that. And yeah. It, it, it it is like you said. It's gonna be there's gonna be some awkwardness because uh, obviously, as we've heard, there's some di- there was disagreement in ownership and trying to figure out who's gonna be there from the ownership group, who's gonna be answering questions that that we ask and uh, trying to trying to figure all that out. So yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be awkward, um, but yeah, it'll it'll be fine. Yeah, and people, a number of people tweeted at us asking, you know, if we were going to do an emergency pod on on Friday night or, or Saturday or something. And um, I guess you know, you were you were busy, but you had a wedding this weekend. And yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I I tweeted at people. I tweeted back on Friday, and maybe some people saw. I mean, the podcast we recorded, I guess Thursday night, we published uh, late Thursday slash early Friday. You know, at that point, uh, John Horse had not been officially named the general manager yet, but I think. I, I think what we said in that podcast, I and mean, we kind of obviously, you could sort of see the writing on the wall. I mean, they've had um, essentially, maybe not a full month, but they had three weeks in which they could have easily named Justin Zanuck the general manager. And obviously, for various reasons, um, or, or maybe not various reasons, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, the Monkey Bucks had continually found reasons to not name Justin Zanuck the GM. And so it felt obviously on Thursday night as though that was not going to happen. And that John Horse being kind of launched into the into the void, um, that that was not a you know a coincidence, or that David Griffin was not going to follow soon thereafter. Um, and so I think what we said on Thursday night about what this means for the Milwaukee Bucks, what this means for for John Horst, who obviously this is a an incredible opportunity, you know, opportunity of a lifetime. Um, you know, as as people who talk about the Bucks almost every day, and and obviously would like to see them do well, we're obviously um, hoping that that John Horst does well, and uh, obviously there've you know been a lot of people saying good things about John Horst in the last couple of days. Um, but he's in a very difficult spot, and and much of that through no fault of his own. Basically, none of that through you know through any fault of his own because of the process that we've I think at this point talked about more than we ever would have cared to. Um, but a process obviously was was kind of chaotic from the start, and um, 
you know, it, it's it's I think I would agree. It's going to be very interesting. I, I, who, who shows up with I assume John Horst will be there on Monday. Uh, I hope he'll be there. Uh, that's probably the only thing we know for sure. But who else is with him there, um, especially all after all the talk about Wes Edens and Mark Lazary and Jamie Dynan, um, not necessarily seeing eye to eye on on what would what should happen with the Bucks drum manager position. I think it's going to be um interesting not just for for who is there but who is not there potentially if not all the owners are there um and uh and obviously i think some of the questions are are probably going to get pretty awkward um but uh, you know again you just hope that uh, that john horse is ready for all this and it's it's kind of trial by fire i guess even if maybe he's not the person that that people are necessarily even have in the crosshairs at this point yeah and I guess with Horst, like you said, it's it's just a tough spot for him because he's kind of thrown into the middle of this messiness, and he, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily have to clean it up. Like the Bucks, the roster hasn't changed at all. Like no, nothing is has moved in a different direction. Like there's not a mess to clean up, but this whole process was just kind of a mess. So uh, he's what comes at the end of it, and. I mean, I, I think the big thing would be if he ends up being a great general manager, well, then maybe this this whole thing gets, no, nah, I don't know, I wouldn't say forgotten. Because uh, there's, there's just been, as we laid out on Thursday, the, the kid stuff was messy, this was messy, that when ownership is making big decisions, they, they've made some missteps and, and they've had some problems in these moments. So it's not going to get forgotten, but, you know, winning cures all. Uh, so if he can come out and make some good moves and uh, do do some good things as a general manager, well, then maybe that fixes some of this. And also, I guess part of it, too, is I don't think he should be viewed as a bad candidate or anything like that. Like uh, I, I wrote about it at ESPN Milwaukee on Friday, but this is a guy that was – essentially John Hammond's right-hand man and uh, a guy that was pretty much there and uh for mo- for a lot of stuff uh, that he John Hammond trusted him that much and had him around and uh, I guess in in the last couple of weeks uh I've heard a lot of people say how much they they have loved John Hammond and his decision making and all of this and loved him as a GM well if if you do love him as a GM then well his right-hand man getting hired would probably be a good thing and again i'm not saying john hammond is a good gym a bad gym whatever but if you do trust john hammond well it'd probably be good that uh someone he trusted is taking that role so um i don't know it's it's just an interesting spot and you mentioned something there where you're like we've talked about this before that the bucks had a bunch of opportunities to hire zanuck throughout this entire throughout this entire time they could have done it even before Hammond left they could have made the move then and said he was the GM they could have done it the day Hammond left they could have done it once Zanuck became the only finalist uh left for the position they could have done it all those times and they didn't and it kind of got me thinking and well they they could have hired John Horst at any of those moments as well he he was he was there you could have done it too and I think that's part of the the intrigue behind all of this is that it, they didn't go outside the organization for someone. It was someone on the inside, but that person wasn't immediately hired as soon as Hammond left. So what? where was the disconnect there? Like, why did it take so long to get to 
that that answer that answer of John Horse. So um, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, but yeah, like we said, it, it's just a mess. Yeah, and it's I think one of the hardest things to do now is sort of figure out you know where do the bucks kind of go as a, like a decision making apparatus if that makes sense. I mean, like how do how do things sort of shake out and. On the one hand, you know, you, I, I always thought like, well, if, it, <clears throat> if it's Justin Zanuck, presuming, you know, we previously presumed obviously he would be the internal hire option, um, that that would be the least disruptive to sort of the rest of the staff and that, you know, you're, you're the most likely option for keeping together the staff. And, and I'd say also even the, probably this coaching staff would be if you kept things the same in terms of having an internal hire. Um, and I would say that's probably also the case, obviously, with with John Horst. Um, but it does create an interesting dynamic because, you know, I mean, Dave Babcock and Billy McKinney have never really been viewed as as GM candidates. Um, and, and they're obviously older, certainly than John Horst, um, older than Justin Zanuck as well, for that matter. Um, they're guys that sort of are, I think, viewed as they're in the roles that they're going to be in in this organization. Um, and. You know, and also, I mean, hearing that, well, the Bucks now might be looking for a, a, you know, an experienced assistant GM certainly suggests as well that there's not a view of, of you know, promoting Babcock or McKinney further. Um, but it, it is interesting because you know you've got a lot of people in the organization who know John Horst, have worked with John Horst. I, I, I guess those guys will stick around, um, but you never know what's going to happen in terms of the dynamic there. Um, I would assume those guys are going to be there through the draft at least and maybe, I don't know, into July. Um, but that's obviously one question is what does John Horst do with the rest of his staff? And also, you know, given how old he is, given his age, um, given that he's, you know, a lot less experienced than than your typical GM candidate, um, you know, how prescriptive is ownership going to be? How prescriptive is Rod Thorne for whatever his role is? Like, are they going to try to push candidates to be the assistant GM. There's all these sort of different factors here where on the one hand, you've got the same people involved as, bef- as before, but just fewer of them. But then it, it does kind of raise interesting questions about how the power dynamic is going to be going to be evolving. And I think certainly my, my biggest fear, and I think for, the biggest fear, I think for a lot of Bucks fans is for the longest time since the Herb Cole days, the view was like, man, let's just get a GM who like He's actually the guy that like we can point the finger at and say that good decision or that bad decision was actually made by that guy. Um, and maybe there's a lot of sort of fan convenience and, you know, s- simplicity in that. And, and it oversimplifies sort of how even a lot of successful franchises work. But to know that there actually is, you know, a, a discernible sort of hierarchy and and you know, process for how decisions are made, obviously, that I think that's reassuring to people, both for real reasons because i think every organization is you know does better when you know not everything requires some complex you know nexus of people in various positions of power to sort of agree and get tacit agreement on things you know i mean it just makes life more complicated and obviously we saw that with the owners trying to make the gm hire um but i think it's just interesting to see like how this is going to evolve how much you know power does john horst have how much does ownership given his age do they try to keep tabs on decisions um who else might be brought into the organization is is that a person that he is going to hire um and then you know obviously i think there's been a lot of talk about jason kidd and obviously there's a lot of always paranoia whenever anything happens about is jason kidd now going to you know have more power and and obviously that's 
generally been viewed as a bad thing, which, um, you know, I, I think I can certainly understand where a lot of fans were paranoid about that. But, you know, a lot of fans were also paranoid about, oh, maybe kid they'll make kid the president of basketball operations. And I think that was never in the cards. I think we should no. reemphasize that. Never. Um, Jason Kidd was, was never going to become the GM out of all this, no matter how much of a mess it was. Uh, and so I think the question now, though, obviously, is, well, you know, does wh- where does this leave Jason Kidd? And I mean, I think you know, whether you, you like Justin Zanuck and obviously I, I made the case for Justin Zanuck a number of times here over the last couple of weeks, um, or whether you prefer John Horace, whatever it might be. Um, I don't think either of those guys necessarily, you know, I don't think, first off, I think we've talked about this. I don't think anybody they were going to hire was going to come in and just, you know, kick Jason Kidd to the curb the, the first day on the job. Um, and so I think there's, you know, there's going to be politics around that, but, um, I think that's an interesting question, though, is is given the amount of money owed to to Jason Kidd and um, the fact that he wasn't hired by even the previous GM, um, you know, how how active a decision is that going to be with with ownership and what kind of role does Jason Kidd have moving over, especially with a young guy now uh, nominally in charge of basketball operations and does his influence, you know, whether practically, you know, whether sort of officially or unofficially, and I would argue it'd probably be more unofficially if it happens, you know, does he sort of you know, is he able to use his sway and his, um, you know, in, in the Game of Thrones talk, people kept comparing Jason Kidd to Littlefinger, who's this guy who, for your benefit, Eric, I don't have to explain this for probably many of our listeners, but for you, he's like this guy who's sort of always in the shadows and kind of like pulling mm-hmm. strings and things like that. I don't necessarily love that that comparison because I think Jason Kidd doesn't really, he, he's pretty out front, you know, he's pretty visible. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting to see what kind of, you know, role certainly Kidd was going to have. But I, I don't know if it really you know, differs that much Zanuck or, or Horst, what, um, you know, whether kid was, I don't think kid was going to get fired either way. I don't think he's necessarily going to be in a dramatically different position. Um, but again, all these questions, we can ask them at a press conference. We're not going to get a straight answer. Um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, what we see the bucks do from a decision-making standpoint. Obviously, um, there are many decisions to make in the the next few weeks. Yeah. I mean, I think that's always the, the big, the big thing with an organization is is your leadership empowered do they feel like they can actually do the things that they need to do without their owners or even when it was the senator when if herb cole was going to be lingering over the top so it, I, I think that's kind of a, a big a big question here is have the bucks gone through the last three years with this ownership group has this ownership group learned anything have they have they figured out better ways to go about things have they figured out how to work through the gm coach staff scouts like have they figured out that hierarchy and how all of that works like because again i think a lot of times we do want to think of it as very clean that x is in charge x makes all the decisions and that person, whoever it is, is just the supreme ruler, and and oftentimes in organizations, that's that's not the case. Then, like you said, even for organizations that everyone loves, like that that isn't that really isn't the case. Like there just isn't a, a supreme dicta- dictator in one of these organizations. There's certainly very strong voices. Don't get me wrong, but there are always other people that have to do things, and you have to uh, empower your your leadership and kind of set set it up so that everyone understands who's deciding what and who who they should be leaning on. So I think that'll be a big thing. And yeah, the Jason Kidd was never going to be GM. 
Uh, he was never going to be president of basketball operations. I, I, I think that, like you said, that was that's important to say. Like that, w- that was never happening. That that could be the scary internet uh, thing to be concerned about, or maybe just make jokes out about at this point. But that that was never going to happen. Uh, but I do think it, it's very interesting because, uh, like I said a couple weeks ago in Orlando when they did their press conference, they said. One of the things you have, we told our, our general manager candidates was, you have to keep Frank Vogel. Again, I love Frank Vogel, so that's that's fine. Like I would think as a GM, I would be okay with that. But there's, I would say a significant difference in saying you have to keep Jason Kidd as your head coach. Like those are are two very different statements in two very different situations where you've seen in the past, or at least there's been reports of. Kid having a, a powerful sway in personnel decisions, things like that. So, if you're a general manager coming in, you do have to be concerned about it. And I guess part of me wonders if, since whether it had been Zanuck or Horst, either way, those guys were in the organization, so they've they've kind of seen this all play out. So, I do wonder if, again, have they learned something in these three years that Jason Kidd has been around? Have they figured out? Obviously, Zanuck would have only had a year with it and Horst would have had three but in that time has he thought of better strategies of how to kind of control the the front office and his staff and how to handle all of that and maybe if there was times where kid was really uh was really taking control with personnel moves like is there a way that he believes that he can control that and he can kind of you would hope there's some good things that Jason Kidd would bring to the table that like, how can I get the good out of him without letting him go into a spot where I'm, I'm not comfortable with whatever it is that he's pushing. So I think that'll, that'll be very interesting to watch as well. Yeah. And I, I think the, you know, the, the, the pressure, I don't know if it's pressure, um, but certainly the uh, eyes will be on the bucks even more so probably than normal and on John Horst specifically here over the next couple of weeks because we have a draft on Thursday. Um, and we'll see if, uh, you know, presumably the Bucks probably bring in a few more candidates uh, this coming week. Um, but, you know, probably for the most part, draft board, you would imagine as, as fluid as things can be maybe in the days leading up to it. And, you know, from the 17 spot, you're by definition dependent on 16 other teams um, in terms of what you're going to be able to do. So there's always going to be fluidity and, and a lack of certainty maybe to some extent. But, um, you know, a lot of the legwork, as we described, has already been done. Um, so now, you know, I think John Orr's is the challenge for him is, you know, he's going to be having to lead that that decision making on Thursday night when the Bucks number comes up. And um, how does he, you know, again, the, the work's been done. But how do you build that consensus and make people feel like, you know, again, even if you maybe don't get the guy that maybe you don't take the guy that Billy McKinney prefers, maybe you don't take the guy that Jason Kidd wants. You know, how do you manage personalities, um, which are things that we don't, you know, you don't really think about that much as a fan. But but obviously those are kind of key parts of, of the general manager position and things that John Horst didn't have to do necessarily, or at least he wasn't fully responsible for previously. Um, so I think draft night coming up, I mean, you know, you, you have to hope that um, – they have a draft night that people come away feeling good about. I would say um, if I was advising the Milwaukee Bucks on their draft night strategy, I would say don't sell a pick. That's probably not not a great way to uh, no, to get the job. No, to no, get the no, that, that would not <laughs> be good. 
<laughs> the Bucks have uh, sold picks in the past. Um, of course, last year that was uh, something that led to a lot of hand wringing, un- uh, understandably so, because the guy that was picked with that pick that was sold. Uh, and again, I think a lot of times people say like, "Well, well, there's no guarantee that they would have picked that guy." You know, uh, Patrick McCaw, who who they officially took um, on behalf of the Warriors. Um, and you know, previous year when they officially took. Norm Powell on behalf of the Raptors uh, as part of the Grievous Vasquez trade. I mean, it's weird. Some people, some I, I sometimes hear this argument of like, well, the Bucks wouldn't necessarily. I mean, that was for that team. Like the Bucks didn't necessarily make that pick themselves or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like that doesn't really that doesn't really like make people feel better, right? That that just means that like they might not have been smart enough to pick the guy who ended up being good. Like I don't know if that's really a, a good defense, but um, you know, two picks in this draft, seventeen and forty eight. Um, I would anticipate the Bucks do keep both of those picks. Um, and so I was going to say, we'll that, of... that's a question I think both you and I have gotten a number of times on Twitter is, could the Bucks package this and this for this, or could they trade away one of the, one of these picks for a different item? And uh, no, like, I just don't think you can at this point. We, especially Frank, but we always point out the Bucks cap situation and what it looks like, and they are pretty much capped for the net pretty much for the foreseeable future and again uh, when it comes to the nba i don't want to go much further than three or four years out because uh, after you do that who, who really knows uh, but for the next little while they're pretty much capped out and selling picks for albeit the, the players that people have asked me if the bucks should trade for all good players um but selling that just further complicates the cap situation and uh would make it a little bit tougher so yeah Trading that pick on, uh, trading either of those picks on Thursday um, would just not be a great look uh, for the staff. And yeah, like you said, it's funny. In as we've been discussing the Bucks general manager decision for the last three weeks, we kept saying one of the positives with Zanuck is well, he's already gone through the draft prep. He he knows what the Bucks are looking for. He knows what the Bucks have done in these workouts. He's attended these workouts. He's gotten to see all this stuff. And then I was just kind of thinking like, oh, okay, I guess all those things do apply to John Horst. Uh, that wasn't the person we were describing at the time. Uh, we were talking about Justin Zanuck as the person that had gone through all of that and seen every workout and been ready to go, essentially. So uh, that I, I think from that standpoint, uh, that should be – Pretty, the, I think the draft is probably pretty simple. Maybe free agency might be a little bit tougher just because maybe maybe uh, John Horst has very different ideas on team building and how you go about that. Or maybe some of his player evaluations are much different than Justin's attic. Um, or maybe they are even very different than John Hammond's. So I, I think that could be the spot where it, it gets kind of interesting. But again... Bucks are pretty much capped out. Like there, there's not a. Uh, again, I, I, I would, I'd be surprised if it was a big active summer for the Milwaukee Bucks. Like th- there's only so much they can do. Yeah, it's not to say they don't have turnover, right? Um, yeah. I, I mean, draft night is big because not only are you are you picking, uh, you know, at those two spots, and I, I mean, I think a, a huge win would be. Could you get into the lottery and pick? You no, know, maybe not necessarily one of the one of the five point cards that we've discussed because. Again, I mean, those guys could be gone by the eighth or ninth pick. And, you know, is there any team that's even willing to to move um, move out of those spots, move down? 
um, you know, what would you have to give up? You know, we kind of played around with like, well, would you give up Malcolm Brogdon to get a chance at, you know, let's say a, a Frank Nilakina or um, a Dennis Smith type guy. So not like a top five type pick, but um, you know, is, is there some spot late in the lottery where you could potentially get, who knows, right? Um, the Bucks have, have obviously never traded up really in, our, in, in, in any recent, uh, you know, what, 20 years or so we've been looking at since the Bucks moved up in, uh, into the lottery. Um, or moved up uh, in the first round from where they started. So that would be, I would think, if, if you could somehow figure out a way to, you know, package stuff where you feel like you get good value and you move up into that lottery and you get, you know, let's say best case scenario, one of those point guards or even a Donovan Mitchell type, you know, a guy maybe that um, has a, a, a higher, maybe a higher ceiling, but but also better fit than anybody you're going to get at 17. Um, that, I would say, would be a win. You know, I think that would be something that, that people uh, would get excited about. And again, not that, uh, John Horst's goal is to, you know, make people just excited on draft night. You know, I mean, you have to you're trying to to, to build uh, a coherent roster for the future. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, hey, I'm, I'm I like to think I'm pretty rational, but I, I get, you know, the opiate of the masses, the the, you know, get another first round pick or move up into the lottery you know for the right price i mean that that could be a, a really important thing um and um i think we'll have to see what happens you know again the bucks I, i'm i think the bucks have not had multiple first round picks since has it been since the big dog draft i think the big dog draft they might have had eric mobley as well or one of those years they had they had two picks been a very long time i think since the bucks have had two first round picks um so anyway, th- those would be fun things to happen on draft night. I don't think I'm going to count on any of those things happening. But obviously, the other big decision on draft night is nothing to do with the draft. It's Greg Monroe deciding on his player option, and that obviously also will have effects on what the Bucks do. You know, if if Greg Monroe opts out, do they maybe feel less inclined to trade John Henson? If Greg Monroe opts in, they should be very interested in moving John Henson um but but just a lot of variables begin to come in play and then obviously free agency starting on July 1 and certainly their flexibility um and again not that they'll have a you know real cap space necessarily either way but certainly uh Greg Monroe's decision um will will loom large in terms of just you know are they going to be up against the the luxury tax potentially or or what are they even you know sort of sort of having to uh you know what kind of freedom do they even have um, certainly Tony Snell, if you could lock up Tony Snell right away, um, that would be a positive, you know, kind of a la Chris Middleton a few years ago when they, you know, basically as soon as midnight struck, we heard that Chris Middleton was, was signing. Um, that would obviously probably be, a, I'd say a positive thing, assuming it's at the right price, but not uh, like, but not like Miles Plumley. No, no, but not like, and Miles that, Plumlee. and that was what's killer about Plumley was like, it, it took so long. <laughs> And then they still overpaid, even though he had no apparent mar- market for for his services. Yeah, oh, like such a killer. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think I'm sure we'll have a lot more to discuss. Maybe I, I don't know. Should we should we solicit people to ask questions? Maybe after the um, after the presser tomorrow, if people have questions, we want to uh, they want us to answer. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to do all of them, but um, I was also going to say that we might learn more. We we might also not learn anything, yeah. Because that's largely how this works. Like I talked about, I don't even know when it was a couple months, maybe about a month ago. At this point, we don't we don't know what happens in NBA front offices. Like we can speculate. Uh, like there's there's no doubt about it. And both you and I will hear stuff from time to time. Uh, but we don't. No, no one really knows how how an NBA the ins and outs of any 
NBA front office. So um, it, maybe there there is some very clear answers uh, in the press conference, but or maybe there's very clear answers in the way they start to conduct business, but there just might also not be any answers. There just may also end up being the same stuff we're doing now where we just have to speculate because you you don't really know. Um, so that that would be the other the other thing I would want to remind people that we might get some answers, but we might also not get any answers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it at best will be sort of reading tea leaves, really. Um, like it's not going to be great. You know, John Horse is not going to tell us that this is what he wants to do with Tony Snell and this is what he wants to do with Greg Monroe. And, you know, th- this is his plan for the summer necessarily. Right. I mean, I think um, if I was him, I would play things kind of close to, to the vest and um, you know, just sort of get through that that presser and live to fight another day, and uh, you know, focus on on the draft and and getting through that because certainly he's got again he's not coming in this in this new right. I mean, he's been there this entire time, but um, but he he obviously was was you know a week ago was unlikely to have anticipated that he'd be leading the process um, at this point, and there's still obviously work to do here over these last few days. And um, so yeah, tweet at us if you have specific questions uh, about. John Horst and what his role might be and what his hiring might mean. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think as we were saying, I, I don't think, I don't think it necessarily changes things dramatically, at least not in a way we would understand just because again, you know, we obviously know what moves the bucks have made over the past few years, but we don't know if John Horst was the guy arguing on the other side of those moves or if he <laughs> was the guy who, you know, was, was, you know, cheerleading for, you know the the MCW trade, and he never would have wanted that that Laker pick, or you know, maybe yeah. he was maybe he was on the other side of it. I mean, we don't we don't know at this point. So, um, you know, I, I, it will be interesting just because there are there are decisions to make, and so we won't have to wait long to to see the first of of John Horst's decisions. And so, um, again, we you know can't necessarily over index on on any one or two decisions, um, especially in the draft where. You know, let's be honest. We're not going to know for, for quite some time if it's a good move or a bad move. But um, it, it, certainly, I, I'm sure that will not stop uh, NBA Twitter and and us. Uh, not to not to say that we won't offer our uh, humble opinions. It will not stop us from offering our assessment of those early moves. But um, you know, again, it, it obviously will be some time before we figure out w- what the upshot is. But um, it, it'll be interesting to see if they if if they kind of sort of play things you know sort of conservatively or do they try to go try to go make a splash because obviously this this bucks team is one that is not that far from from being very interesting in the eastern conference um but also as you said has has some limitations i mean you know i, I think uh, and i don't know if you had thoughts on the 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 big sixers celtics trade of the the first and third picks as well as another pick going to boston to give Philly that top overall pick, but um, certainly some of the other teams that the Bucks long term are going to have to go up against and compete with uh, are making big moves. And again, I don't know if those moves are necessarily going to, you know, pay off handsomely or not. But um, you know, sitting around and just sort of waiting, waiting. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the the, the best thing. You don't want to overreact, but um, it, it's certainly a very interesting time in the Eastern Conference right now. Less interesting if you're the Indiana Pacers, Ugh. who seem to be over a barrel uh with the paul george situation george telling them basically that he's going to leave in a year um so anyway if, if anybody's sort of paranoid or, or or feeling down about uh about being a bucks fan 
I guess you could just look at the at the the Indiana Pacers and say at least at least the Bucks aren't the Pacers. <laughs> I'm I'm totally fascinated by the Paul George trade market. Totally mm-hmm. fascinated by it because I think if you're a, a Lakers fan, you don't want to give up young assets. You don't want to give up those guys, but also you don't want the trade market to be nothing, and then all of a sudden teams are just throwing out. bad offers low offers whatever it is and then you have to pick from one and then all of a sudden he goes to the cavaliers or he goes somewhere uh where he has a chance to win and then all of a sudden oh he's not coming to la anymore because he just won a championship or he thinks this team is capable of of winning a championship so uh it'll be interesting because with because what Kevin Love was LA or Boston right and then he gets traded and well I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't advise him to leave LeBron's side anytime soon uh it, maybe that won't be his choice but uh sometimes you go to the right place and things work out and then all of a sudden uh you're signing your next contract with them instead of going to LA or Boston or wherever uh, Kevin Love w- was thinking about going, so um, that's interesting. And did you th- did you think the return on the number one pick was a little bit low? I was trying to figure out if that was enough to make the move from three to one. Um, I've been kind of going back and forth on it. Um, did, by the way, did you did you see what the final what the final protections were? I think like I saw one version of it where it was. The Lakers pick next year, which is top, I think it's top, is it top one protected or fully unprotected? I think maybe it's fully un, one unprotected, but, um, but I, I saw one version saying that like if, if it was, um, if it was in the top five, then it would convey, then that pick would convey to Boston and otherwise it might be the Kings pick, but I, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but, um, but obviously it, it's tough. I mean, I think part of it really comes down to how big of a gap do you think there is between Markel Fultz and you know whoever the the Celtics like at three, and we've mm-hmm. heard. You know, I think Josh Jackson's been, I think was our, like the first assumption, but now a lot of talk has been about Jason Tatum maybe being that guy, and Tatum obviously being more of a potential guy. You know, maybe the only guy in the draft who like projects along with Fultz perhaps is like the the really kind of dominant scorer types. Um, so I don't know. I think I think that really comes down to is like how much risk tolerance do you have to maybe roll the dice because there's not I mean it's not like Markel Fultz is guaranteed to be the best player in this draft I mean how often is the number one overall pick actually the best player in the draft usually not right I think I thought somebody actually did this once and I want to say it was maybe like a few times over the last two decades that you know the best player was actually the first overall pick now probabilistically it's the best chance at it right I mean that's why the guy is is considered the you know Fultz is considered the number one you know consensus pick but um but yeah it is very interesting in terms of um you know the risk tolerance that guys have and I don't know I mean like from a you know part of the theory as well is like well are the Celtics loading up to to make moves for a Jimmy Butler or a Paul George or whatever it might be and um I don't I don't know if if what they got back is actually I don't I don't know I would I would say yeah. what they got back is actually less appealing probably like if you're the Bulls do you really want sort of the you know number three and then some unknown you know not sure exactly where it's going to be pick in the next year or two versus Markel Fultz I mean the guy that everybody seems to think is a consensus number one pick I, I would think that that would be your best option just because it's such a kind of more defined quantity and 
I feel like that's an yeah. easier thing to sell in a trade. I but, was say, my, my first thought was the return, and then my second thought was, oh, the Celtics just signed up for five more years of Isaiah Thomas. And gotta, that's a good point. Got to say, I'm pretty okay with that. Um, I I would have been a bit Wait, more... as a as a Bucks fan or as like somebody if you were the Celtics? Oh, as a Bucks fan. Because <laughs> uh, again, I, Isaiah Thomas was great. Uh, I understand that maybe I'm in the minority, uh, but I I as a Bucks fan, I would not mind seeing a team that leans so heavily on Isaiah Thomas. Uh, that like that's totally fine. And again, the Celtics have a ton of assets, so eventually maybe that'll be Isaiah Thomas and someone else, some other star. Uh, but for now, just seeing a, a, a very Isaiah Thomas heavy team. Okay, that's fine. Uh, that that is something I I'm not all that fearful of. Um, and and I think the other thing too is I mean, getting getting two picks for the number one overall pick is one thing if you just have like your own picks moving forward. But the fact that they also that they they have this Brooklyn pick next year already, mm-hmm. um, and I think they I want to say they do they have a mem I think they might have a Memphis like unprotected pick is that is that am i right, I remembering so. that correctly in like 2019 or something like that so you're also just sort of piling on all these picks and on the one hand you can say well that you know i mean you are just you know loaded for bear now at this point like to go out and and try to trade for for one of these guys you know a butler or, or a george um and i would totally agree i mean i think the market for george it has to be teams that are good enough that he you know that he would realistically resign with right because that's the killer thing is is the idea that he is preordained to be going to la which you know again i certainly would agree i mean if you're the lakers like why why would you give up real assets for paul george at this point especially if you think you can you know have cap flexibility next summer um which which again is maybe a bit of a question because they have those dang and um and uh mozgov contracts as well i don't know exactly all the details of their cap sheet but um but, you know, how do you create competition for him? You know, I mean, the Clippers, I think Paul George was, I was actually a Clippers fan growing up. <laughs> so like, but like the Clippers, I mean, it's like when they had the, you know, the, the Carmelo Anthony trade rumors, like the, the Clippers don't really have trade assets that, you know, would make a team like Indiana actually feel good about what they got. Um, so it's just such a, it's such a t- tough thing. Cause you really have to do, try to find teams that, that have assets that, that could give up, you know, like, I mean, there's, there's a Miami, you know, like does Miami think that if they traded for him that, that they would be able to keep him? And does Miami have enough assets given that they don't have uh, yeah. a lot of future first round picks and um, don't necessarily have like great young talent that, that you might want to return. So it, it's all very interesting. Um, I, I think I w- if I was a Sixer fan, I would be really excited. Um, I know my, my buddy, Mike Levin from Freebie Liberty ballers and, and the rights of Ricky Sanchez podcast. He is over the moon um, at the, the prospect of, being able to team up Fultz with uh, with Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid, um, but obviously the the teaming up requires all those guys to actually be on the court, which uh, remains sort of <laughs> a question <laughs> moving forward. So I guess Markel Fultz is this year's guy that we will assume will find some way to get hurt before the season starts. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely going to be an interesting thing. I, I think it's probably harder for me to understand it from a Celtics perspective, just because again now they have so many assets and they have no they have no way of like using all these picks and. You know that yep. certainly their their timeline. They want to they want to be better and cash some of these in and get productive players for these guys sooner rather than later. And it doesn't mean necessarily you don't keep some of these picks, but um, they're you know I don't know. It just seems like we've been waiting for forever for Danny Ainge to start doing that, and it's kind of a shock to see him. 
go the opposite direction and and sort of further kick the can down the road a little bit. But but again, maybe maybe in a week or two uh, there'll be a huge move, and this was part of the precursor to it. This is like man, we we're just getting started with crazy NBA stuff. Like just today, uh, oh lazy Sunday afternoon. Woj bomb. Yeah, let's go. This is going to be fun. Um, so I, I'm I'm so ready for the next couple weeks. Uh, the, the I think the week leading up to the draft is always fun. And then, obviously, once you get into free agency and you just kind of see uh, all the shifts that go on and uh, how people are building teams and how everyone's trying to compete and can anyone get enough enough firepower to compete with the the warriors it's gonna i think it's gonna be a fascinating offseason and i am excited uh for the next couple weeks here um i I think that's gonna be it for us for today on lockdown bucks uh like frank said we'll have uh our our reactions to the press conference uh that'll happen tomorrow um so we'll have reactions to that and then we will uh, try to take some of your guys questions if you have some um and again what we will try to answer them. Uh, like Frank said, uh, there will be some reading of tea leaves and uh, maybe some healthy speculation as well. Uh, but that, that'll be it for us for today. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Support for this podcast comes from NetSuite. NetSuite lets you see what's going on with your business in real time, from accounting to order management and much more. You've outgrown your business management software. Let NetSuite help. Go to netsuite.com slash podcast to get your free guide and find out why NetSuite is a leading business management solution for growing companies. Get up and running fast with NetSuite.